Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Okay, welcome back to the daily community meeting, everyone. I'm so glad you are spending your lunch break with us or your breakfast break if you're on the West Coast. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit to start today about anger, (laughs) um, because I've noticed there's a trend and, um, I see, I feel a lot of anger kind of going on around me and especially on social media. And for the most part, I think it's kind of the crab bucket mentality. You know, you're, you're like the people you hang around with. And if you hang around a lot of angry people, you'll get pulled down into that. Um, but I have seen a lot more trending toward this this feeling of anger at the moment. So I wanted to share something I read in Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key. Anger is counterproductive. We can pretend we didn't hear or see things that were meant to offend. We can move slowly, giving extreme emotions time to dissipate. We can avoid situations and people and even entire cities where we know we tend to get upset or pissed off. When we can feel our temper rising up, we need to look for insertion points, the space between stimulus and response, points where we can get up and walk away. When we can say, I'm getting upset by this and I would like to not lose my cool about it, or this doesn't matter and I'm not going to hold on to it. We can think even of the Mr. Rogers verse about anger. It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. As silly as those lyrics might seem to us in the moment, as our temper is boiling over, are they any worse than a grown adult losing their cool over some minor slight? Are they worse than saying or doing something that will haunt us possibly forever? We must choose to drive out anger and replace it with love and gratitude and purpose. Our stillness depends on our ability to slow down and choose not to be angry, to run on different fuel. 
fuel that helps us win and build and doesn't hurt other people, our cause, or our chance at peace. And we're going to talk a little bit today with Pilar about healthy deviance. And I think <laughs> choosing to not explode and get angry um, all the time over little things is part of being a healthy deviant. So I would like to turn over this time to Anthony. He is the owner. So he was on the podcast. You were like on episode six, Anthony. I mean, this is, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, it's like episode 200 now. So um, he's the owner of Paper Plane Yoga in College Park, Georgia, where I came from, Atlanta. And we never actually got to meet in person, which was a bummer because I was going to get him to teach me to do yoga a little bit better <laughs> than I currently oh, whatever. do. You're, you're, you're amazing. So, but I thank you. It seems like just yesterday when we, when we you know, we had me on your show. So, but I appreciate that. Very interesting um, very interesting commentary that you have on, on, on anger and about anger. And, um, you know, right now, the way people are feeling, I'm sure I can't speak for everyone. They, they, anger comes from a lot of places, anxiety, um, the unknown, um, you know, it's just, it fear, fear is a big part of anger too. Um, so, you know, we could go on and on, but it's something that's been with us from the beginning of history. You know, you just have anger. You know, we had wars, and we've had disagreements and disputes and so on and so forth. And everyone, it seems like every society finds its way to either deal with it through something, whether it's through uh, vices, whether it's through meditation, or whether it's through expressing themselves in art, like uh, the gallery. So, so. I'm going to turn it back to you. Given, given all of what I said, and, and, and here again, um, this is uh, certainly your show. What would you like for me to start with? Is it, is it a meditation? Yeah. So I like to, because I'm, for years, I was anti-meditation. I was like, I'm not doing right. it. You can't make me. I don't want to hear it. Um, and so now I meditate every day. But I only do like 10 minutes. And I, right. and I do it even quicker. So for people, like, I don't want this to be like a meditation show, you know, but I right, want right. people to be able to come to these little meetups and stop, pause and have a minute. So maybe just something two to three minutes, just, you know, for us to stop because Absolutely. I know so many of us are not stopping. And also it's a great little introduction to those yes. who are meditation resistant. So yes. um, I'll and, let and you, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a lot more credit because you say that, you know, your your experience with meditation, I believe you have done meditation all your life, especially as yeah. especially as an athlete, because you know, you and I share some some same things where I also have done uh, triathl uh, triathlons. I feel my best meditating when I was running. Or when I was cycling. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, and I think so, we so, talked about this too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so meditation comes in different forms. Some people feel praying is meditation for some. They find solace in that. So, I, I think a lot of times when it comes to yoga, I always tell people, "You've been doing yoga all your life. You just don't realize it. You stand right. That's a mountain pose. You've been <laughs> to tie your shoe. I said, so you've been doing it. Now try to do it in in more of a of a community." where you're now you're entering the breath. So I, for all of you who are on the, we, we can start by simply 
finding a comfortable spot, a comfortable place, whether you're sitting or whether you are um, lying down or whatever the case may be. Hopefully everyone is sitting, so we're sitting, we're not lying there. <laughs> well, if they're listening but, um, to it later, maybe they're lying down. So exactly, <laughs> so you can do this, whether you want to lie down, whether you want to sit, sit in a chair, whatever have you. But just, just find yourself in a very comfortable place. And just relax your shoulders away from your ears. Just relax, it just melt, feeling that though your shoulders are just melting away from your ears. And just soften the face, relax your jawbone, release the tongue from the roof of your mouth, swallow to clear out your throat. And just take an intentional breath. As you breathe in, feel the coolness of the breath as it travels through your nostrils. And as you exhale, feel the warmth of the breath as it leaves out through the mouth. Let's take four more breaths like this. Inhale deeply, feel the coolness of the breath. Exhale out completely, feel the warmth of the breath. Three more times. Inhale deeply, feel the coolness of the breath. Exhale the breath out completely, feel the warmth. Two more breaths. Inhale deeply. Exhale out completely. On this next breath, take a real deep inhale. And on the exhale, release. And once again, release the shoulders away from your ears and just concentrate on just being present. What does that mean? Just in your space right now. I don't want you to filter out any noise that you might hear around you, that's fine. Just breathe. Inhale deeply, exhale out completely. And now choose an intention. Just pick one out of the air. It could be a an intention of love. It could be an intention of gratitude. Maybe it's an intention of peace. Whatever it is to you, just choose that intention. And now play a little movie in your mind about that intention. If you move forward with that intention, how would that look? How would it feel? How can you apply that intention to where we are right now? Without getting too much in the weeds, just first simply apply it to your own being now. Try not to go out of yourself, just, and not try to judge yourself. Just how do you apply that intention? Whether it's the intention of love, how do you apply that love? Maybe it's the intention of gratitude. How would you apply that? intention. Continue with the breath, breathing in, exhaling out, stay present. And now with the same intention, what will you learn from that experience once you have rolled that intention out? What's the takeaway? What's the lesson? Play a little movie in your mind about that. And just breathe. And gently flicker your eyes open. Bring your palms together to touch. Inhale your palms up to your third eye. Exhale the breath out. Leave in this space with good, 
intentions, peaceful thoughts, loving thoughts. Lower the palms to your lips. Take a deep inhale here. Exhale the breath out. Leave in this moment uttering peaceful and loving words about yourself, others, and those that you've yet to meet. And finally, bring the back of your thumbs and place it right in your heart space and feel the beat of your heart. Bow to your practice. Take a deep inhale here. Exhale the breath out. Leave here with peace, love, and enlightenment in your heart. Namaste. Namaste. Oh, that was nice. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So if you will, post um, in the chat the link to your social and your website so people can follow you. And I, you might be hearing from me to do this a lot more. You know, it's great. <laughs> thank you thank so you. much. Thank, thank you for everything you, you do. All right. Well, I hope you all feel, I hope that that was awesome. I, I just love that so much. I'm going to unmute Pilar now. Pilar Geracimo. I got it right, I think. You got it. You got it perfect. Amazing. That's rare. So you get extra points for that. Well, I messed it up on the podcast and then I was, you know, <laughs> I tried so hard. I had it written out. And so this time I got, I phonetically wrote it out to make sure, but thank you for being here today. That's my so pleasure. You. Thank you so much for having me. It's good so, to see everyone. It's I've been on my own here, so it's nice to see faces and see, connect with human beings. Yeah, it's great. So nice. It's so nice. Um, so Pilar is the founding editor of Experience Life magazine, and I have loved that publication for years and years. And her new book is out, The Healthy Deviant, which I have on Kindle. Um, and I wanted to read as I pull this, let me see, which I don't love Kindle, by the way, because it's <laughs> no, it's nicer to have it in paper. I, I like that. Um, but, these, but I go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, hold it up. Right hold it up. People to, oh, yeah. 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 So it's the healthy deviant, a rule breaker's guide to being healthy in an unhealthy world. So yes, relevant for the moment, for sure. Absolutely. But I did want to read this part of the start of the book. Um, healthy deviants wanted for daring adventure, currently seeking bold, adventuresome, health-motivated individuals to buck deadly trends and disrupt unhealthy social norms, must be willing to defy convention, question authority and absurdity, sidestep conformity, and master a wide variety of healthy person skills, including the art of illuminating the best within them. No experience necessary, training provided, desire to explore, and willingness to experiment helpful. Generous benefits package include increased energy and resilience, radiant health and vitality, and a dramatically expanded sense of what's possible. So healthy deviant. What is a healthy deviant? I, I challenge accepted. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, I think for me, um, the term healthy deviant is meant to refer to anybody who willingly defies the unhealthy conventions of their dominant culture and who chooses to behave in ways that maybe are not socially supported, but are in the best interest of their health and happiness and the health and happiness of others. And so all of the um, notions of healthy deviance exist within the current reality of our society, 
where more than 50% of U.S. adults are chronically ill. In fact, right now, six out of 10, according to the CDC. What? 70% 50%? are taking... 60. Six out of 10 U.S. adults have been diagnosed with at least one chronic illness. So if you don't have a chronic illness, that actually puts you in the minority, an empowered and lucky minority. But I'll continue and give you some other statistics that help put this concept of healthy deviance into perspective. Right now, 68% of U.S. adults are overweight or obese. 70% are taking at least one prescription drug. Uh, on an annual basis, but daily, 55 to 60% are taking at least one prescription drug every single day, meaning that they're effectively drug dependent. 80% of US adults are not thriving mentally and emotionally. And that was before this pandemic, right? This is just the baseline of mental and emotional health in this country. 80% of US adults not thriving or flourishing. And here's the crazy, crazy thing, Meredith, that I think most people don't realize, realize at all, is that 97.3% of U.S. adults are not practicing even four basic healthy behaviors. And in my book, because this is such hard information to wrap our head around, I made a lot of charts that look like this, that sort of show <laughs> the declining numbers of people that are actually doing basic things like eating a reasonably healthy diet or getting even moderate amounts of exercise, not smoking or maintaining a reasonably healthy body composition. So my thesis is that really, you know, in the research that was done that was published by the Mayo Clinic Proceedings, where this information, the 97.3% of U.S. adults not practicing four basic healthy behaviors, where that was published, that research didn't count a whole bunch of other important, equally important habits or behaviors, like getting enough sleep, having strong social connections, and managing stress. So, you know, the question that came to my mind over the course of about 25 years as a health journalist after I started Experience Life was... I keep reading these crazy statistics and they're stacking up in my mind going, and I'm like, wait a minute, that means that only a single digit percentage of US adults are doing even the basic things that they would need to do to be healthy and happy for the long haul. And in that context, if you're choosing to do even some of those things, you effectively are deviating from all of the norms of our society. You're having to eat differently, move differently, choose differently, socialize differently, in, you know, even manage your media intake and your finances and your time and energy and attention differently. But, you know, you can pat, I like just like, hey, give yourself a pat on your back. If you're doing anything good for yourself in an unhealthy culture, you're winning. <laughs> you know, every little <laughs> bit you can do helps. But I think we have to ask a bigger question, which is what kind of society makes it so difficult to be healthy and happy that only a single digit percentage of U.S. adults can pull it off or even hope to pull it off. And that's really what sparked the book for me was reframing what we've been thought to think about health improvement in this context of like, what's going on societally that's setting us up for these problems and the difficulties we're facing and how can we overcome it? Because some people are managing, um, often they're a fortunate and privileged through, but even in every culture, there are people who are bright spot outliers who are pulling it off. And I'm really interested in figuring out how we can share more of what you need to be able to do and think and be how to be that serve you better than 97.3% of the U.S. adult population. Right, right. That is, that is staggering, staggering numbers, especially when I know like you and Anthony, we're like in a little bit of a bubble because we surround ourselves with healthier people. But um, before I was in triathlon or even weightlifting for that matter, like I totally believe that, you know, the prior life. 
And I think on the podcast, we talked about how hard it is to just find food that you would like to eat out in the world. If you haven't gone to the grocery store, prepped it, taken it in your meal container that people side eye you about bringing to family gatherings. <laughs> um, but you can't just drive down the road and say, hey, you know what? I would really like an apple and a salad like a real salad, not an iceberg lettuce. Salad. <laughs> um, and, and so that's what I love about your book is that it, it's so true how we have to be deviants in order to be healthy. And that is a tragic, tragic thing for our, for yeah. our world. It is. And it's really, I think in this time of a you know, COVID-19 pandemic, it's making it even clearer what a challenge that is for us as a community, as a population, a society, and as a planet. You know, to have 97.3% if people, just by virtue of their daily habits and challenges, effectively compromised in their immunity and their vitality, that really is radically escalating the risks that we suffer for our collective health. And, you know, socioeconomically, every level of our society pays a very heavy price for having that many people suffering at any given time. Societies aren't really set up for that. Societies are normally set up to have, at any given time, there are going to be people who are ill or suffering from a traumatic experience or damaged or injured in some way. And the idea is that healthy people come together to help support the folks who are suffering at any given moment. But in a world where the majority are suffering and the minority are kind of eking out their thriving, surviving strategies in the face of significant obstacles, and we'll talk about those obstacles in a moment, I hope, I really is a game-changing situation for us when something like pandemic uh, viral infections hit, because really it can take our whole society down. You know, they, you've probably heard the statistics that talk about people with one or more chronic conditions being at double or triple or quintuple or more the risk of having a negative outcome like being hospitalized from COVID-19 or dying from it potentially. But this is a statistic that I don't think is, people are not thinking about this. This is not one or two or a few percentage points in our population. We're talking about the majority of our population that has chronic illnesses. And we're also not talking about the other group of people that haven't necessarily been diagnosed with chronic illness, but are at significantly depleted levels of vitality and immunity because of poor nutrition, because of lack of sleep, because of incredible amounts of stress and post-traumatic living environments or current traumatic living environments. Right now, we are all being somewhat traumatized by the dramatic change in our lives and trying to figure <laughs> that out. So a lot of what I wanted to do with this book is acknowledge that truth and put it in context so people do not beat up on themselves for their poor health conditions and their struggles, but really radically reframing it in a way that empowers us to change the conditions of our daily lives, as well as our collective conditions societally, because we have to create a healthier, happier society that supports the majority of people being healthier on a more regular basis. And that makes it a more pleasurable experience to be alive. You know, I really appreciated in Anthony's meditation just how good it feels to slow down enough to breathe and feel the sensations of our breath and feel a centering happening in our bodies. But that is a deviant behavior in our culture. We do not together typically come and start our meetings that way or start our days that way. And if we did, you know, we probably would be living in a very different set of circumstances. So it's really about elevating simple practices like those and helping people understand the real power that they have 
to help them intervene in what otherwise would be automatic default unhealthy behaviors. I mean, for those of you who spent any time or currently spent any time in medicine or corporate America, can you imagine if you opened every meeting for the sake of meeting with some meditation? <laughs> I'm going to take this to my law firm and the next partner meeting, we're going to have a meditation. Like they would be like, can we bill for this? Like, you know, but it's so true. Imagine yeah. like how much better every meeting would be if you just took five minutes to, to breathe. <laughs> well, it's so funny you should say, can we bill for this? I, I'd love to talk a little bit about that as a part of this construct, because yeah. you know, right now we're looking at spending trillions of dollars um, you know, on our, our conventional healthcare system and conventional interventions that we term health and wellness, but that are mostly about selling people products to help them ostensibly improve their health and well-being. What we're not doing is investing in systems and ways of living that would actually support human health for the long haul. So in my book, I describe what I call the vicious cycle of the unhealthy default reality. And I do a lot of this um, illustrating these things. They, a lot of the illustrations look like, you know, simple line drawings like this or little illustrations. This is this illustration here sort of shows all of the tentacles that are coming at an individual in our society from unhealthy healthcare system to media to trauma and chronic stress and a sick food supply. But each of us is surrounded by all of those things and they come at an incredible cost. But right now, a lot of the money being made in our society, a lot of what's billed for are things that actually degrade our health and happiness. And meanwhile, a lot of the things that improve our health and happiness are not valued accurately. They're not, the total cost of our poor health isn't assessed properly. And the real value of, what is the value of one healthy, happy person who doesn't need special supports, who doesn't need dialysis, who doesn't put a drain on the healthcare system at this time? How much would we be willing to pay if we could wave a magic wand and reverse the percentage of people who are healthy and unhealthy? What is that worth? These are questions we don't stop to think about. And that's a lot of why our society is set up the way that it is. People make a lot of money. Industries make a lot of money making us sick and right. then trying to help us improve our health. And it's right. a vicious cycle that takes us down and has us blaming ourselves, by the way. What's my problem? How come I have a weight problem? How come I'm depressed? What's with my rash? Why do my joints hurt? What's wrong with my anxiety and my depression? Those are not your individual problem. Those are widely shared problems we're all experiencing. And the sooner we get our heads wrapped around a solution that serves more of us, the better off we'll be individually and collectively. And it'll be a better place to live. So that's kind of the mission I'm on right now with Healthy Deviants. I, I mean, louder for the people in the back. <laughs> Because, I mean, seriously. And, you know, it's interesting when you have a conversation with someone who hasn't grown up in, in a healthy situation and, you know, they're used to feeding, to having meals from fast food. And it's just whatever, you know, no judgment, just how that it's been. And you start to have these conversations and it's like, are you kidding me? This is really happening? And the way that it has been covered up and the way that it is marketed to us, it's crazy, but yet you're right. It's so simple, but what do we do about it? Like, how do we, what, what is our marching orders? People are, what are we doing? Yeah. Where do we, where do yeah. we meet at the full moon? <laughs> well, 
I think one of the things is, you know, first, I, I, my, my book kind of lines up the, some of the fundamental counsel that I have, but ultimately, I focus on three nonconformist competencies that are presented in a very specific order, and then also three renegade rituals, which are really where, like, on a daily basis, practices that we can do to accomplish the first and most important task of healthy deviance, which is amplified awareness. You really have to start by noticing what's going on in and around you and noticing how those automatic behaviors are set up. How are we being marketed to? What are the default choices? Particularly in neighborhoods where there are more poor people, where the resources are more scarce, they're being even more aggressively marketed to and the options are being reduced. So noticing what is in my personal environment dictating my behavior with or without my awareness on a given day. You know, I remember when I was going into work at a corporate office on a regular basis, there were candy jars everywhere. The, the coffee shops had a lot of pastries and, um, you know, caffeine and sugar were the two easiest to grab things. Uh, and that's really true at a bunch of levels. You go into a pharmacy and candy bars are at eye high of children and are two for one in a hospital pharmacy sometimes. So, you know, awareness of these things is where it begins and noticing where am I triggered to eat poorly or to skip my rest breaks or to go to bed too late or to not move when I might want to. When we really start to become aware of those things, we, you read that Orion Holiday piece at the beginning, Meredith, about how we have a choice between reaction, our, our reaction and our response, you know, the, the trigger and the stimulus and our response. Without that awareness, we don't get very far. But we live in a society, again, that depletes our awareness every single day. If we do not intervene, our attention is taken up by 24-hour news cycles, social media bips and blings and alerts, constant interruptions, and also constant anxieties about, do I look as good as she looks? Do I have the right stuff? And so we have fractured awareness. So the first act is really reclaiming your awareness, which is why yoga, meditation, rest, walks outside, those kinds of things are really helpful. In my book, um, the three renegade rituals that I represent as being, for me, they turned out to be the most important things. One was a morning minutes practice. This is really simple. Um, and I'll just give you the basics of this, but if folks want more, they can listen to the episode of the podcast I do with uh, Dallas Hartwig called the Living Experiment, that's the podcast. And this episode is called Morning. Morning minutes practice is basically just taking the first three minutes of your day before you go to your device, before you turn on your computer. You don't really wanna to touch this thing. If possible, don't wake up to this because the minute you wake up to it, you're like, what happened <laughs> overnight? If you can take just the first three minutes of your day to do something pleasurable, and relaxing and come into your conscious awareness gradually instead of like, whoa, I woke up, alarm, news, everything coming my way. You are at your most psychically and mentally vulnerable in those first three moments, but you're also the most powerful in terms of using your own intentions to visualize like Anthony modeled beautifully, setting an intention, visualizing how you want things to go, imagining how those outcomes will be. Those are the right things to be doing with the first three minutes of your day. So when I wake up, the first thing I do is I kind of stumble downstairs. First, I lie in bed for a minute if I can, because you don't have to hop out of bed immediately. You know, give it a minute, particularly now that most of us are stuck at home anyway. What's the rush? Where are you going? <laughs> then once I'm kind of conscious, I go downstairs and I light a candle. Like I like beeswax candles, unscented, really simple, beautiful, smell good. And that's a ritual that just gets me in the frame of mind of sitting for a minute. Sometimes I read, 
Sometimes I play my guitar. Sometimes I pet my dog, might do yoga, might meditate, might stretch. Oftentimes I'll just walk outside with a cup of coffee and look at the sky and listen to the birds. And it's amazing what happens. This is a renegade act because you will experience perhaps for the first time in years, what it feels like to be present in your own body, mind, in your life, without the incursion of all the crap our society sends your way to freak you out, to inflame your body and brain, and have you in reaction for the rest of the day. So that's one of the three renegade rituals. The others are, one's called an ultradian rhythm break. One is called a nighttime wind down practice. And we can talk more about those if we have time. But the main thing I want to say is that this, all of these practices accomplish three things. One, they amplify your awareness. That's the first nonconformist competency. Most people are unaware most of the time. If you choose to be aware, it will make you a deviant. The second one I call preemptive repair. And this is about understanding that we live in a society that's constantly wearing us down, breaking us down, freaking us out. And you have to get ahead of that damage a little in order to maintain your awareness. So again, the things that we do to replenish ourselves, like drinking or eating before we're really ravenously hungry or thirsty, resting before we're exhausted, taking a break before we get reactionary and yell at someone and get mad like you talked about. Mm -hmm. I have my own thoughts on anger, but I will say most angry outbursts happen among depleted, under-repaired, under-replenished people who've just gotten to their last frayed nerve and they, they lose it. So preemptive repair is that kind of proactive approach to taking better care of yourself. And I offer a lot of ways of doing that in the book. The third nonconformist competency is continuous growth and learning. And again, this I think is a revolutionary um, act to decide to be a constant learner, to, to, assemb- to put yourself into beginner's mind and understand that, hey, listen, if 97.3% of our population has not yet figured out how to be a healthy, happy person, that's a set of specialized skills that you're going to need to take time and energy and focus to learn. They do not come naturally. They are not taught in our society. It's kind of like survival skills out in the wild. Most of us don't know how to build a shelter and find water and make a fire anymore. But those used to be just basic skills for survival. And now we have to go learn them from a book or a video or a retreat. I think there's similarly survival skills to learning how to find good food, learning how to get to sleep at night and stay asleep, learning how to get movement in a way that works for your body. And learning how to surround yourself with people who support you and manage your relationships and your time and attention and money in ways that support your health. But those, you can't learn them all at once. So you really have to accept that you're going to commit yourself to a life of learning them, mastering them, and maybe once you've mastered them, sharing them with others. So that's a lot in one sentence or breath, but (laughs) that's the how. You know, there is a big section of my book too, I will say that focuses on the larger social effort that we need to make, the structural work we need to do as a society, but we aren't going to get that far. Part five of my book is called Taking It to the Streets, and uh, it really is talking about healthy deviance as a social movement, but I think it has to start with each of us individually because we can't really have a movement of unhealthy, unhappy people running around trying to help other people. Right, right. And Kathy made a comment, don't you think solutions focus on personal accountability, beginning with awareness? And yes, I mean, I think that's exactly what you're saying. So many of us who choose to already lead lead healthier lives are at that point. We're aware. But people that aren't aware, like that's the first step, I I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, in a way. I, well, I want to say a couple of things about that because thank you for raising those points, Kathy. Those are great. I love that you said I've learned not to be a victim. Abandoning victim mentality is an important part of healthy deviance. And I actually devote an entire 
day of a 14-day program to that idea. However, I think the idea of personal accountability can only go so far. Because if we're raising generations of children and whole communities in situations that effectively never give them an opportunity to learn these skills from their family and friends, their parents, their grandparents, many, many people are growing up in environments where healthy behaviors are not modeled to them in any way, shape, or form. And the public health efforts that we have been using in this country for the past several decades have been incredibly counterproductive. Even things like the USD nutrition guidelines, you know, kids might learn those in public school, but a lot of them have given really terrible advice about eating more breads and starches and sugars and saying that that's a fine way to meet your RDAs. So I, I think the, my take is that each of us has an opportunity once we are kind of awoken to the environment that we're in of choosing our behaviors and it takes special skills and it takes some resources to pull that off. Part of the reason I chose to not focus so much on just diet and exercise interventions in my book, A, I think that they're over leveraged, but B, I wanted the interventions to be things that would be available to everyone, regardless of their situation. You don't need special equipment. You don't need access to a gym. You don't need a Whole Foods in your neighborhood to make this work. These are the beginning points of choosing to reclaim your consciousness about this and decide your health matters enough to take action on. And that's really where it begins. That's the point of accountability. The rest of it, we could talk about and debate, but it's, it's just a lot easier for some people to make those healthy choices than others. And I think we have to acknowledge that. If anyone has any other questions, please raise your hand and you can be on video or post them in the comments. But I do want to ask you, because you said you had your own thoughts on anger, and so do I. Like, I liked that um, the, the meditate or the stillness is the key, but I also know that anger can be used in all sorts of productive ways, and there's ways to direct it in ways, you know, you can take anger and it can be a flame, a spark. And so I would like to hear your, your thoughts on that. Since you Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that I, th I do think anger has a use and a purpose. I don't think that disru destructive, disrupt, like that kind of anger that damages people is not very useful. But the feeling that comes up when we witness injustice, when we witness un unfairness, when we witness destruction of things that we love, I, I believe that there, the language that we have in this culture for anger is very limited. And most of us have had nothing but negative experiences with anger being you know, damaging and harmful and abusive. But in my book, one of the things I talk about is the kind of arc of our journey as human beings in what I call the healthy deviant hero's journey, which not surprisingly, I also illustrated. I love your <laughs> chart. The illustrations just help me, but there's a phase. Basically, the idea is that we start in a natural state. We begin complying with our culture and go downhill. We get into darker and darker territory, hit bottom. And then if we're going to come back up, we do that by de deviating or diverging from our society's norms and beginning to experiment outside of what we've been told. There's a period in almost everybody's journey. And I, I would ask you, maybe each of you, to think about if you're on a healthy journey of your own, whether this is a place that you might get to eventually or that you've already gotten to, where we start to notice that the things that we've been told to do have not worked for us. And yet the things that we figure out that work often do work and then we wonder, why did no one tell me that this was effective or that this was an option for me? And I went through a period where I started realizing how many things were working that no one ever told me about and weren't popular and weren't advertised and weren't promoted, weren't incentivized, weren't underwritten or subsidized quite the contrary. And I got mad. 
I got into what I call the phase of rebellion. And rebellion in, the, in this little chart is sort of symbolized by a character with their fist in the air going, ah, and being <laughs> mad. But it's a phase, you know, and it's a phase where you really have to confront that the way we've been doing things is kind of messed up and it has hurt a lot of people. You don't necessarily want to stay in that place of anger forever. And that's why Healthy Deviance is the next kind of stop where you go, I got to find a way to sustainably manage my feelings about this and to use my energy for good, to be productive and positive and help people not tear right. things down. Right. But I will say there is a fit in the program in my book that's like a 14-day healthy deviant adventure. One of the days is called, um, the, the theme is called BS. And it's basically, <laughs> you know, about calling bullcrap on the Oh, you can say bullshit. It's okay. <laughs> I kind of want to hear you say it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's mostly very much a G-rated book, and there, isn't a, there are only a couple of somewhat swear words in there. But I do think that leveraging your frustration with the way it has been is a valuable tool. And you don't have to be anything you don't want to be. I won't, I won't tell anybody that they should get angry if they're not. I just think it's a natural response to the way our society is geared up right now. And I think the feeling a lot of people are having in this pandemic, in the midst of all of these really aggressive changes, is a sense of like, this isn't right. We shouldn't have to be enduring this. Like this is a mess and it's not hitting everyone equally. And we're hearing about insider trading among elite folk and we're hearing about, you know, it's, there's going to be a period where people do get angry and maybe out of that will come some good too. But ultimately, we have to finally get to a place of deviance that's sustainable for us individually and collectively. And that's really where I want to leave people in the book is like, what can we do? Let's do those things. Being angry about the, the things that really matter and not the small like stuff yes. <laughs> and getting angry on social media about the stuff that I'm like, are you serious right now? You know, that's the kind but of Meredith, that... Yeah, but here's the thing. What we have is a population of a whole bunch of people, remember this, who are under-repaired, under-replenished at their last freightage. We went, a lot of us went into this pandemic with no reserves, financially, physically, mentally, or emotionally. We were already at the razor's edge of our capacity just trying to keep up. Then this happened. And what happens, the reason preemptive repair is the second competency, if you don't do that, if you don't take aggressive, preemptive, proactive action to build your reserves and to put yourself into a good place, the first time something goes wrong, it can trigger you into an emotional reaction or into a physical reaction. You know, a lot of times that's what makes people's autoimmune disorders flare. That's what puts them into, a, you know, binge eating or binge drinking or doing other unhealthy behaviors. They just want to anesthetize themselves or their body needs to explode in a flare up of inflammation to get attention that it's going to just force you to lie down, you know? Okay. So I think that's a symptom. The anger is a symptom of a disordered, disrupted, dysregulated population. And we're going to see more of it probably before we see better. Uh, yeah, but we have to learn how to regulate ourselves. That's a really good point. So I run a sobriety group and um, I've talked to several of my clients and we've all said, I can't imagine being a drinker at this point, you know, having the alcohol situation, not, you know, being a part of my life. I, we can't imagine doing that because it was the preemptive repair. And some people don't struggle with that, you know, drastic of a problem, but then a lot of people have other things, you know, I always say 
everyone's got their own booze. Like you just got to pick what it is, you know, <laughs> give it a name. It may not be booze, but booze might be your booze. Um, but what do we do? So, so all of that to say that many of us have gone into this current crisis with some of that preemptive repair and we're able to, to not feel that dread and the fear, even though it's there, you, you can see it, um, you can turn on the TV, but to, to know internally, we're not having the nervous system response that we would have had like four years ago. I know I would have had four years ago if this happened. But for those of us who have done no preemptive repair and we don't know anything about healthy food and like faced with this, how do you start now? Like, what are some of your words for what is going on now? And what are some things that we can do to, to feel better? Cause that's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do think that's where it starts because unless you're feeling somewhat better, you're not going to be able to make those healthy decisions. It's just, I think it's a lot to ask, you know, so technically it's true. Like eating a healthy whole food diet is going to help you at every level. It's going to help you mentally, emotionally, physically, everything. However, getting someone who doesn't normally eat healthy food to suddenly adopt a healthy diet in a pandemic environment where the stores aren't even open is a pretty hard sell. So I believe that for most people, these renegade rituals or something like them of taking, so you know, having your day start in a sane way choosing the attitude with which you're going to go forward, setting a few, one or two things that you want to accomplish that day, rather than just letting all of your to-do list hit you. Those are just really good, basic sanity producing things. The, the second renegade ritual in the book is called ultradian rhythm breaks. And it's a very sciencey term that sort of like circadian rhythms happen every 24 hours. Turns out that there's another rhythm in our bodies that none of us were ever taught about called ultradian, like ultra ultra for lots of, or many or more, ultradian rhythms happen every hour and a half to two hours throughout the day. And if we can take those breaks when our bodies are calling for them, when we start to feel a little fatigued or frayed or worn out, it turns out our bodies take advantage of that dip, that break to repair and replenish and reorient themselves so that you can go into another hour and a half to two hours of productive time. That's a skill. Again, learning how to take those breaks. I keep a timer typically by my desk and set it for hour and a half intervals to remind me I need to take a break. Often my dog reminds me that I need to take a break because he wants to go for a walk. But those types of breaks can be powerful in regulating blood sugar which can really help with cravings. It's powerful in regulating your immune system, which keeps you from dipping too low and getting something else. I mean, it it won't necessarily keep you from contracting COVID-19, but it might reduce your chances of getting a cold or something else that's gonna take you down further than you want to and reduce your resiliency. So those kinds of breaks are great. And then in the evening, I really recommend people do a nighttime wind down practice where 30 to 45 minutes at minimum before you intend to be going to sleep, you begin shutting things down and turning things down. Temperature goes down. Sound system goes down. Intensity of the media, if you're consuming any media, goes down. Just bring it down. I try to turn off all my screens and I try to get my computer and my cell phone charging and just put away. If you can do that, get a warm drink, like just some warm water or something, herbal tea, walk around your house puttering and doing the little things that need to be done. Clean up your surfaces of your counters, you know, maybe do your evening routine with face washing and brushing your teeth and flossing just a little slower. Um, And by the time you get to bed as the result of that, 
you will be prepared to sleep much better than you would otherwise. I make the point in the book that one of the healthy deviant characteristics is observing the natural oscillating rhythms that humans and everything in nature follows. Our culture teaches us to get up in the morning and go, 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 and then drop into a sleep. We don't work that way. Everything in nature works in these oscillations. We eat and then we digest. We open our eyes and then we blink. Our hearts go boom, and then our hearts go boom to contract. If we observe those rhythms, everything works better. So they're really simple interventions, but they really radically shift your mindset and your energy and your attitude and your focus. And I, from what I'm hearing from readers of the book right now, it's interesting. The book is experiencing a renaissance of sorts. It came out in January. But a lot of folks are saying these renegade rituals are keeping me sane while I'm sheltering in place or I'm sharing my house with four extra people or I'm trying to work from home and deal with my bank account being gone. You know, those kinds of things. Right. Absolutely. And I can share with you, I I have followed um, these for a while because I've followed you for a while um, and you, you've spoken about these on the podcast and, and other places, but the morning ritual, I, I was the type that would wake up and I don't know if it was the former lawyer in me, but I would wake up and everything was like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> boom. <laughs> and I mean, and that was it. Like that's how I woke up, you know, and then you're, you're yelling at your kids and you're yelling, like, everything's crazy. And so I, I do a similar thing that, that you mentioned, but I actually meditate in bed before I get out. So unless I have to pee really, really bad, um, I will <laughs> go pee and I'll get back in the bed. But I try to wake up, sit up, you know, and then put my, I do insight timer and with like the sounds of the waves and I don't time it per se, but I, I do that because I like to see how many days in a row I've done it. Let's be real. Um, but I sit there and I breathe until the stops. And some mornings it's eight minutes and I have been known to sit there for 40 minutes <laughs> on some days. But what that gift has given me, well, one, I'm not like a machine gun head. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy how, how much better I am as a human going into the kitchen where the other humans are. Um, but it's life-saving because you, you mentioned something that um, you said, you know, you're, it expands your creativity or you come up with ideas. And I've noticed that instead of going through my never ending to-do list during that time, it actually, I usually get a good idea out of it. Like what is something I can do today that is creative or powerful. Like this whole daily meetup happened with a, um, a morning ritual or, because I thought, I just, I want to be helpful. How can I be, what can I do? And you know, it came out of that. And, but it makes me a better human. <laughs> and so if you're struggling, yes. any of you out there are struggling with walking into your kitchen and not being a good human first thing in the morning because of the thoughts going on in your head, I highly encourage this morning practice. I have all my clients do it. I mean, it's grounding and it's, and it's incredible what comes of it. That's so, so great. So thank you for sharing that. We just have and a few more minutes if anyone has questions. A, yeah. I just wanted to remind them, ask your questions while you can. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, I don't know. While people are putting any questions they have in, I wanted to share that um, Mindful Magazine did um, 
run a piece that describes the morning minutes as a mindful morning ritual, I think, that's available at their website free. It has really good detailed instructions, both on why this works and how to do it. It's straight, pretty much taken straight from my book, um, the chapter that describes it. So if you go to mindful.org, they, I can get, send you the link or you can find it, I'm sure, easily, Meredith. Um, it's uh, bylined by me and just describes this renegade ritual called the morning minutes in some detail. So if you want to, you can print that out or put it in your folder of things that you want to access. Um, it's, I, I agree with you that it does make people, I think, better humans. But I think it also is one of those things that in a time where most of our daily routines are disrupted anyway, Frankly, all of our disrupted our routines are disrupted. This is a really good time to actually institute new habits, to put in place new routines. So this is one where if you begin practicing this now during lockdown and work at home time, you may really find that by the time you're able to go back to your normal, so-called normal routine, you'd rather be doing the healthy deviant renegade ritual instead. And it really does improve <laughs> your productivity and your creativity and all of that. Right, right. I've, I've raised that point so many times. I mean, I know that this is not the greatest of times. It's the worst of times or whatever. Um, but this is a time to reset. I mean, it is if, if you choose, you know, and, and it's a choice. It's a choice to say, okay, I'm going to choose to, to make some changes or to start some things or to whatever. I mean, this is a reset. It is a reset. Yes. On so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anyone has any questions, raise your hand or post something. Oh, good. You found that link. So I'll post that too. Yeah. I just posted that. Great. Well, a couple of things I can share with folks that are just some resources, if this is helpful to them. Um, At my website, healthydeviant.com, I have both the audio introduction to my book, which is narrated by me, yours truly. Uh, The introduction is called Wink, Wink, Nudge, Nudge. And you kind of have to listen to it for that to make sense. It's a reference to the Monty Python skit. (laughs) Um, But that's available for me. I got the thumbs up. Thank you. Um, I also have a free preview that's available for download at the site, as well as a free quiz uh, called Are You a Healthy Deviant? which is a great way of kind of wrapping your head around what healthy deviance is and whether you fall somewhere on the healthy deviance spectrum. I like to think everyone falls somewhere on this spectrum, just a question of you decidedly non-deviant or hardcore healthy deviant. There's also a ton of other free resources that you're welcome to grab and share with friends and family. Everything on the site is pretty much free unless you want to buy the book or a workbook or something. But my goal right now, like you, Meredith, and this is actually the final stop on um, the healthy deviance deviant hero's journey is recognizing that you've come away from your own challenges with gifts and insights and wisdom to share and feeling motivated and inspired to share that to help others. And, um, you know, I think that's where a lot of us are probably at. Those of us who do whatever we do successfully to take care of ourselves, we now have a treasure trove of skills um, to share with other people and insights and perspectives. So I really, that's like I said, the whole last part of the book is like, how do we do that together? So I want to thank you, Meredith, for having me on. And thanks to everybody who showed up for this. And thanks for creating a platform where all of these ideas can be shared in such a great community. Well, thank you. And thank you for all that you do. And um, a lot of people will get this on the replay because I know this is work time for a lot of people. But um, thank you for sharing. And um, listen, and anyone that liked anything Pilar was saying, go buy the book. 
authors like we can't just tell people as authors to buy our books so we t we authors tell other people to buy other authors books <laughs> so go buy your book it's good money it's money well spent and um so thank you and we will see you all next time so bye thanks a lot thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.